yeah, those um, those online dating apps are like heroin. <laughs> they are. They are. They they suck you all the way in, and you're like just you know scrolling. And the craziest part is you'll be sitting there and just like open up whatever app you're on and just start scrolling. And you're not keeping track of time. And then you look up and it's like two and a half hours have gone by. That's, um, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> because what are you doing in those two and a half hours? I mean, it, it, it's, I guess it's like any app, like any of the, the apps, any app and anything now is just an addictive process, you know, because yeah. that's what it's intended to be. Yeah. But for, but for like the dating apps, I mean, you don't reach the end of the world at some point and go like, uh, now I'm into an area that I don't want to be into. The two, the two main dating apps that like, you know, kind of sucked me in the most were one, okay, Cupid. And that one kind of got me first. And then the other one is a, is an app called hinge, which is a terrible name for a dating app. If you ask me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost gross, you know. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> it kind of is a little bit, right? But but okay, Cupid was the first one, and and the first way that that app sucked me in was you know you make your and this one what they do is you make your you make your profile and then they ask you questions and they match you with potential partners based off of some algorithm that decides what your percentage matches based off of not just the questions that you answer the same, but like how you rate, how important the question is to you, you know? And the thing was, was that when I first started going on that app, no one told me that like how many questions there were going to be. Like I just figured there'd be questions, but I didn't know how many questions there were going to be. And so I started scrolling through and answering questions. And at some point it became like a competition between me and OkCupid. Like, fuck, like I am going to get to the last question 575 questions later, I was like, there's no end to this. I was like, there's no, there's completely no end to this. And it was like 2.30 in the morning. You know what I mean? Like it got dark. It got real dark <laughs> pretty quick there with OkCupid. And oh, yeah. And the thing about Hinge is there aren't any questions, but it's all about kind of setting up your profile in a way that, you know, sort of looks good. And so for both, you just kind of start scrolling through and they kind of like, pace out the people who you'd want to talk to and the people who you wouldn't want to talk to. So you're kind of scrolling. You're like, nope, 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 nope. Then you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, let me talk to this one. And then you kind of message that one. There's another one. You're like, yeah. But then they put like seven or eight nopes after that, you know. And, uh, and you know, when you want to message, because I'm a recruiter, you know, I, I sort of message like a recruiter. So it can't be canned. It has to be based off of like what I actually see on the profile. So with OkCupid, okay you know, I'm like scrolling through all the questions answered. You know what I mean? And if it happens to be someone who's like answered a bunch of questions, well, now I'm like, you know, diving into like all these all these different things. I'm like, oh, we answered this one no and this one yes and this one similar and all this stuff. And it just plays with your brain. And yeah, seriously, you'd sit there and two and a half hours later, it's like, where, where did my time go? Where did my, you know? Yeah. No, man. No. No, uh, <laughs> you I can't mean, even imagine it. Huh? I can't because even, I mean, I never was in the, as I've said before, I've never been on the, in the online dating scene. Yeah. And back in the day when I was single, like, I don't know, I would just stay home. 
I would <laughs> I would like read, you know, like maybe I'd go out on the weekends, you know, like I, I just can't, I can't fathom the access or the um, obsession, I suppose. It just, um, but One that's the, coming from a guy who hasn't been single for almost 20 years. So. Yeah, no, that'll, that'll happen. You know, you kind of got, you kind of got off the single market there, you know, just as the dating apps were starting to, you know, kind of kick into gear. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's sort of what happened to you. I saw one of the profiles and I really appreciated this. One of the profiles that came across said that dating apps were the clearance rack of people. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> 50% off. Like you have 50% off or like a, an irregular collar. It's like, <laughs> one sleeve is longer than the other. <laughs> yep. <laughs> These are the products that no one wanted to buy. You know, <laughs> the island of misfit toys, island of misfits toys completely. But this is why I've been on break for two months, month and a half, month and three weeks, basically. But you, you're counting down though. Don't you have like a week left or something? I do. Yeah. A little over a week. I, I, I told myself it was uh, back in August at some point, uh, end of August. I was like, I'm, oh no, beginning of August. Cause it's, uh, I said, I'm out. And I'm gonna give. I'm gonna take two months off, and then I'm gonna. I'll get back in the game on October first. That was the date that I named myself, which isn't doesn't mean I'm actually gonna get back in the game on October first. It just means that's the date that I said that I would allow myself to consider getting back in the game then. And it's been great. <laughs> it's been it's been pretty pretty fucking awesome. You know, like like no no pressure. You know, no no scrolling. I had actually built, uh, you know, some profiles on a handful of other dating apps and I just went and shut those down. And the only two that are left kind of in existence are still OkCupid and, and Hinge. And, uh, you know, on October 1st, if I'm, if I want to get back on it, then I'll, then I'll think about getting back on it, but I've just been off of it. So it's been nice. You know, I, I took this time to like take care of like some dental issues, <laughs> like, mm. They carry some shit around my apartment that I wasn't taking care of, you know, help, help the girls finish their summer and get started with the school year. You know? Yeah. I, since we're going to talk about Maria Bamford and mental illness and suicide in comedy, I would have to say that during suicide prevention month, which is September, yeah. you should probably not go to the dentist because there's, <laughs> there's no experience that is more detestable and upsetting in an unrequited anger kind of way for me than going to the dentist. I don't care how nice the dentist is or how mean the dentist is. I'm going to hate that person with the same, <laughs> the same level of bile and, and uh, just fist clenching violence. Oh God. It's been, I mean, what's been really nice is that the people who have been at the dental place that I've been going to actually have been really as good to me as I could ever expect a dentist to be and a dental hygienist to be. I mean, I told them the first time, because I've got some dental anxiety, some dentist anxiety, uh, pretty strong. I don't know if I told you the story, but I have told the story on Sunshine and Brain where when I was like six or seven. I had a bunch of adult teeth coming in and my baby. Oh teeth yeah, sure. You had, up. you basically became a, a gum. Yeah. Yeah. They pulled 14 teeth in two weeks and this was like, you know, night circa 1980 something. 
And uh, back then it was like, here, kid, have some whiskey. <laughs> Bite down on this stick. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> the dentist good. reaching into my mouth with a fucking pair of rusty pliers, you know. Okay. It, was, uh, it, was, it was fairly awful. Uh, but this has been, you know, obviously much better. But I told them in the beginning, I was like, I'm just super anxious. And they've been, you know, really good to me through that, like talking me through it and sort of being kind and all that stuff. So I'm very thankful for that. But I mean, I, I had I went yesterday for my last kind of, at least for now, deep gum cleaning where they had to put a syringe in my mouth and shoot me up with some, you know, Novocaine or whatever. And uh, I mean, you know. I definitely like had my first one in a couple of weeks. (laughs) I talked about it in the intro to the last episode where I'm just like lying in the chair. I'm just like, I'm going to go home and fucking kill myself. And it was like, Oh, okay. That's a, that was a one. Okay. Right. right. (laughs) That's not, not exactly, not, not a rational reaction. No, but but I also had dental work done this week. Um, I mean, did you get done? A crown on his fucking tooth that has yeah, been bothering me since the beginning of COVID. Like right as the lockdown started, I was like, "Oh, my tooth kind of hurts." And oh. then I waited, you know, six months. I went in there, and uh, then You're like Tom Hanks and Castaway, you're about to take like, of, a pair of skates to your mouth. I thought about it um, <laughs> because honestly, like going in and getting the procedure done and spending the money on it. I was like, do I really even, does nobody even cares how I look? Like, so I'm missing a tooth, whatever, you know, like it's, it was one of those moments because as they were doing the procedure, the, the um, dentist and his hygienist, hygienist was kind of what I would call a stereotypical hygienist, maybe late fifties, early sixties, uh, crusty, um, you know, uh, didactic kind of mean. And then the dentist is, he is a nice guy, but as they were working on it, like he was like putting his shoulder into my face, like just try. And it it was like, he was trying to like crack my skull. I think it was just the only way he could get a good angle on the tooth. But by the end of it, I was just exhausted. I felt like I'd been in a boxing match, you know, like I'd gone 10 rounds. Oh God. Yeah. And so, I knew a guy, I think I've told you this, I I knew a guy uh, who was in the FBI and he's a 25-year veteran and he's like, you know, I've been in gunfights, I've been in fist fights, and I've dealt with some of the worst people you could possibly meet. And the only thing that scares me is the dentist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that rings true. That definitely... I can relate to that. I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, it sucks. It sucks. How did this come up, by the way? Why did we start talking about the dentist? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> D- don't care. I don't yeah. know. Probably my yeah. memory was my memory's all shot from uh, from going to the dentist. I don't know. I, <laughs> I if I can avoid it, my dad, who clearly, I, I don't know, and. We've talked about our fathers respectively. Like he yeah. was a hillbilly, yeah. like and he uh, toward the end of his life, he just decided, screw it, and he was unwilling to go to an American dentist. He just okay. felt like it was a racket, and it was too expensive. So he drove to Juarez, and 
essentially got all of his teeth pulled and got, uh, you know, full plates. Full plates. Just, just went with the full, um, you know, grills. Yeah. Like the wind, grills. like the wind up chatter mouth, like <laughs> <laughs> dropping into a big cup of Listerine, you know, Listerine that's exactly, night. that's exactly what he would do. And it yeah. was, uh, disturbing. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, my, you know. my, yeah. my hillbilly grandfather, my dad's dad did that. And uh, I have very strong memories of being a kid and, you know, saying, Grandpa, take your teeth out. And you would go smile and just pop them right out, you know. Oh, <laughs> and then do that, do that funny thing with your jaw where you close your jaw a little too, little too closed, you know. Where it's like obvious that there aren't teeth there to stop your mouth from closing that much. Yes, yes. You can like take your lower lip and like lift it over your nose, basically. <laughs> or... Yeah, I remember when he was in the hospital proceeding toward hospice, he would just sometimes fall asleep, but he wouldn't have, you know, like the right level of denju cream or whatever to keep the teeth in. And yeah. so they'd be loose in his mouth and he'd be asleep. And it created this horrifying skeletal effect because his <laughs> teeth would be like way too far separated. You know, they, they would look like they were in his appropriately in his mouth but that would have meant that his gums were like four inches long <laughs> and it, it, it was just uh yeah yeah oh that's weird i think there's a mitch hedberg joke where he says i don't understand why we need so many teeth you know you could have just given me two long curvy teeth and i'd have been i'd have been happy <laughs> typical mitch hedberg joke but uh totally. <laughs> i did not need the spaces therein or however he puts it you know so what do we got today for jokes so uh well first of all i mean we we have recorded an episode recently of uh sunshine so it's not like you and i haven't recorded in a minute but uh at the true same time, true it's, it's been like our... two weeks week and a half Week and a half since um since our suicide awareness month addendum, but uh but it's been um since the beginning of August that we've recorded an episode for jokes and this this particular episode is going to be sort of a hybrid to you know go from one to the other but it's nice to be recording an episode of you know sort of jokes with you again man this is fun yeah I mean you caught me in like probably the most exhausted state I've been in in years but it's okay I keep looking up. I, I like my Google searches. Like, for example, I make fun of the Google searches that I've done in the past. For example, I, I at one point, I would Google hemorrhoids or colon cancer. <laughs> yeah. And these days, it's like, how do I know if I have congestive heart failure? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the last the last thing I googled was uh, when is it safe to swim laps again when I got uh, after you get new tattoos, and uh, what came oh, yeah. up were a bunch of really scary pictures of people with their skin falling off, basically. So I don't oh, recommend wow. googling that. Definitely do not recommend googling. Why? Because then there's like some sort of like uh, subcutaneous infection or something. Yeah, that's what the fear is that there could be an infection. You know, they're saying that tattoos are basically open wounds. Um, which I guess is kind of true. I mean, they kind of, they, they scab over pretty quick and then it's just, they peel and itch for a while. But, um, I think, 
you know, when you have like a full sleeve done, if you get like a huge tattoo where they're, you know, coloring in with uh, a lot of ink over a large area of skin. And, and then, yeah, that's, that's probably something you have to be really careful of. But when you have like sort of smaller tattoos or just lettering or something like that, it's probably less of a, less of an issue. But, uh, but the fear is infection, you know, that's the fear. So mm. supposed to be careful about that, I guess. But anyway, so, uh, so yeah, this is the episode of jokes. And what I brought today was Maria Bamford, who is one of my absolute favorite comedians in the whole world. And I know you love her too. I've actually seen her live. Have you ever had a chance to see Maria live? I mean, I'm sure I've had a chance, but I didn't take that chance back when there was live comedy. I know because I've lived in four cities mainly in my yeah. life. And I know that in each of those cities, I'm sure she passed through there multiple times and I'd always see it and I'd be like, I need to go to that. And then my brain would shut off and I wouldn't go. Um, but I really like her. Oh, I really God. like her. I think she's very brilliant and she is the most vulnerable of perhaps any comedian that's out there. And that's saying something because comedians sort of make their life by being vulnerable. By yeah, opening they, they do. I mean, that, up. that's exactly right. A hundred percent. The best comedians all the time are the ones who, you know, figure out how to create really hilarious narratives from sometimes the most painful parts of their lives, you know, and it's, it's very hard to tell sometimes a vulnerable comedian. Like I would argue that Doug Stanhope is a really vulnerable comedian, you know, in terms of like his approach and how willing he is to share his darkness. And, you know, that I one, agree with that. that one special that. that he did where he, he did a special right after doing another special, right. Where he was just like, I'm going to do an experiment come up and do a special with no material. <laughs> like, <laughs> what the fuck? You out of your mind? Did you well, see yeah, that? I mean, bad. <laughs> I don't bad. think I've seen that one, but I, I do know that when you reference somebody with like some sort of, fearless or vulnerable narrative is when he talked about his mom and talked yeah. about, you know, essentially his uh, role in her assisted suicide. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's hardcore. That's really hardcore. That is really, really hardcore. Uh, but Maria Bamford, you know, what she struggles with is really significant mental illness. And specifically she struggles with bipolar and um, connected to the bipolar, quite a bit of depression and anxiety that kind of goes along with that. And she does a lot of material about, you know, her experience being bipolar and um, some of the different kind of things that she's gone through and things like that. And she's got some gr really amazing narratives and amazing, you know, story jokes about some of those things. Like it's one line where, you know, she's talking to a... Uh, um, a radio DJ and the, and the DJ is like, Oh, you're bipolar. Does that mean, you know, you're, you're hearing voices all the time. And what kind of crazy is that? And she's very astutely, you know, no, schizophrenia is where you hear voices. Bipolar is where you make voices, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's such a great line, you know, <laughs> I mean, you just have to love it. You just have to love it. So, you know, I, you know, so we've done already a couple episodes. I, I did that one episode. They're just me talking about my personal experiences with suicide and suicidal ideations. And then we did the follow-up episode, me and you, 
you know, you asked me some questions and went into sort of like that. And one of the points that I kind of made at the end there was that one of the more kind of vulnerable aspects of sharing my suicidal thoughts and ideations is that it might give one the impression that, you know, I am sort of moribund, you know what I mean? That I'm, what do we say? That I'm Eeyore and I'm just kind of like tough to, tough to be around because I'm so dark and depressing. And the truth is, you know, at least in my opinion, I don't think anything could be further from the truth. Like, and for me, I, you know, I, I use my sense of humor as a weapon, you know, it's a shield, it's a sword. It kind of does all that stuff. And, um, I, I do try to laugh at myself and the pain, I, I find it to be really helpful to be able to do that. And Maria Bamford's humor completely speaks to me because of that. And I think you feel the same. Like we talk about how, you know, our, our, you know, sort of beginning of friendship is our love of comedy, sort of mutual love of comedy, mutual love of podcasts. But I think also mutual ability to kind of laugh at ourselves. Right. That's that to me for a long time was what comedy what what my sense of humor at least was based on was looking at looking at a critique of the world and then turning it inward because yep. that's the way to um to frame it for others to give them perspective while not feel like I'm being accusatory of anyone and and recognizing that my shortcomings are as significant as anyone's and I really I kind of enjoy picking on myself because I, I, I'm aware of my insanity and it's, uh, it can be kind of fun to, <laughs> to, to go after. Yeah. And so the, the sort of self analytical, uh, comedy, you know, because you can point at the world, you can go full Mark Marin, but even Marin does this, right. He'll just attack target after target after target and then suddenly he's like he pulls the big wheel lever and he spins and he's like oh yeah but also i'm insane you know like right. i i just i'm a terrible insecure neurotic you know that kind of thing and that's a very useful tool because if you get if you otherwise you're not funny if you're just pointing right. out right all the short because it becomes uh, holier than thou you become uh, a preacher, not a comedian. That's right. Yeah, that's a hundred percent why. And, and and it's a great way to you know I think get people to sort of connect with you by sharing that sort of those sort of human foibles and not necessarily weaknesses, but the the human side of you that you know you may be less proud of. I mean, we talk about Bill Burr all the time, but he's a, a really good example of someone who does that. Where you know he's gonna he's gonna purposefully you know, share his opinion and his thought about something that's going to turn everybody off, but then also bring it back by saying, you know what, I'm, I'm just a lunatic. I mean, don't listen to anything I'm saying, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, I'm, I'm out of my mind over here, you know, and, and uh, that's absolutely something that a lot of comedians sort of use as a tool there. Maria is quantitatively different though. Don't you think? I mean, there's something really different about the way that she approaches it. And it's similar to Emo Phillips in that she has a voice. Well, actually she has many voices, but she has a voice. The difference between her and Emo Phillips is his voice is made up. Hers is real. You know, <laughs> you know what has always puzzled me about her. And, and there are comedians who use, who are almost, they're like uh, musical instruments of themselves when they're mm -hmm. up there on stage. I think Brian Regan, mm -hmm. I think, Jim Gaffigan mm -hmm. and you know certainly Maria Bamford 
the thing that has always been endearing and puzzling to me with her is when she she has this sort of high pitched mousy voice. I don't know if you'd call it mousy, but it's definitely yeah, mousy. It's a little squeaky. Yeah. Um, but then she'll sink into this very serious, almost like um, dramatic, alluring female <laughs> voice, yeah. very mature voice. And I was, I've always wondered, is that her real voice? And she's Can you just, just do that all the time. You know, the squeakiness <laughs> is like an affectation in the same way that like, you know, Gilbert Godfrey, that's not his voice. We all know his regular voice is something different, but he plays yeah. up the Aflac yep. duck yep. because it pays his bills. That's his shtick. Yeah. And so well, the thing is, I, I what I've gotten from it is that Maria Bamford, her shtick is actually the serious voice. Her yeah. normal voice really is the is. mousy, squeaky voice. It really is the mousy, squeaky voice. And with tremors and all kinds of stuff, and she can do that normal voice she does, the, the kind of, you know, you picture like a woman in a pantsuit who's just in charge, you know, so she's got kind of that right. voice. And then yeah. she does a great impression of her mother. And she oh, does yeah. a great impression of her father. And that's sort of it. And she bounces back between these different voices. And it's just, it's just kind of incredible, you know. Um, and then obviously does a number of other voices that just are kind of off ticks of her, you know, of her mousy voice. But uh, yeah, no, it's 100% her. I mean, that's the thing. And she famously has taken years off of comedy because she's needed to take care of herself and, you know, gone to different types of institutions. She's definitely had to institutionalize herself a number of times. She'll talk about that in her comedy. It's, it's really very, very stunning. And, you know, apropos to Suicide Week, she does a lot of stuff on suicide. And, you know, I, I love listening to it because I can really relate to the sort of the absurdity of it. I mean, you know, to sort of say, like, there I am in the dentist and they've got like a needle in my mouth and, you know, they're they're shooting me up there with Novocaine or whatever it was. And it's just fucking miserable and I hate it. And of course, in that moment, I'm going to be like, I'm just going to I got to go home and kill myself, man. This is awful. I mean. You know, it's, I, I think to a lot of people that might not be or say, like, there's, how do you laugh at that? But to me, it's like, I kind of have to. Does that make sense? Like, it's like funny to me <laughs> in a way. Like, of course, that's what I'm going to think about there, you know, because it's like they're torturing me, you know. So, but, uh, but for a lot of people, have I, freaky. Have I used this anecdote in our shows before? When I was the first time I ever, remember making a large group of people laugh mm -hmm. i don't even remember the context or the words that were spoken <laughs> but it was chemistry class junior year in high school shows yeah. you how late a bloomer i was <laughs> but the the teacher we've been going over some topic the teacher asked a question and i answered it in a way that was a little glib and <laughs> Not intentionally funny, honestly. Uh -huh. um, I wasn't thinking about being funny, but everyone in the class laughed. And I leaned over to my friend, Scott, and I said, Scott, why is everyone laughing? And they said, because you said what everyone was thinking, yeah. but wasn't going to say. Right. And that's some of Maria Bamford. Like right. her 
exposing those things that we don't want to say. And good comedians do that all the time. The things that we don't want to say and saying it in an artful and amusing way, something that isn't just directed at, you know, harming the target, but dancing around it in a beautiful and amusing way. And that's what she does. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really something, really something great. So She's got a lot of stuff on mental illness and suicide. I kind of narrowed it down to a couple of different narratives here. And uh, why don't we just kind of dive into it and then talk about it. it. I've got one here that I think it might make sense to start with. And this is actually from her most recent album, which just came out now in 2020. And the album is called, uh, well, actually, I'll say what it's called. It's called Weakness is the Brand. And that line will come up in this uh, in this joke, but um, this is track three from "Weakness Is the Brand" 2020, and the track is actually called "Suicide." And uh, this track is a, just a couple of minutes long. We'll listen to this, and then I'll share with you a couple of tracks where she kind of goes on this longer riff about suicide and depression and depressive thoughts and things, and you'll kind of see how she kind of talks about it. But uh, first things first, this episode, this. Uh, this first track here, Suicide from Weakness is the Brand. You ready? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. And I don't know why I'm being so critical. Uh, I'm not the greatest. I have a bit of a tremor. Uh, that's distracting in a performer. Why don't you take a medication to offset the hundreds of medications you're already on so that I feel more comfortable? <laughs> to which I'd like to say, Weakness is the Brand. <laughs> I don't want to quash this cash cow. Uh, I may be mental, but I'm also a millionaire. Uh, I uh, I have done very well with mental health shtick, and I was. Uh, <laughs> but I've been feeling so good the past several years. Um, I don't have any new material about it, and I thought, uh oh, maybe I should worry about that. Uh, <laughs> But then I remember that I'm on antipsychotics and it is no longer possible for me to worry. (laughs) I do have this joke, though. I was at the funeral for a comedian who died of suicide. Wait for it. And uh, awful. Uh, I've had many friends and family, sadly, die of suicide. And uh, one thing that always bothers me, though, is that when there's obituary they for someone who's died of it there's always the number for the suicide hotline and i know that's helpful i know it is i know it saves lives it has helped me i've i've called it myself but as a person who's trying to kill themselves it always feels a little condescending like i know what the fucking number is (laughs) i'm depressed i'm not a moron Seems like you're know, having a obituary for someone who died of drowning, and then there's an ad for a raft. You know? Yeah, that would have been great. So after the uh, funeral, I uh, overheard a few people talking. It's just the single most selfish thing he could have done. I know. He has two kids and his wife. She's gorgeous. <laughs> 
And I thought, hey, you know what? I think the single most selfish thing you could do, I think blaming someone for their own death at their funeral. That is uh, <laughs> truly the single most selfish. Hold up, hold up, hold up. No, 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 no. <laughs> Writing down the premise for this joke. <laughs> yeah. That is truly the single most selfish thing you could do. Two, to two kids. And don't forget <laughs> to mention how pretty his wife is. <laughs> Let us never forget how attractive all of us are. <laughs> Especially now. So that's the that's the first one. Hilarious. That is fucking hilarious. She's just, brilliant. <laughs> you know, just the, the absolute attack on the vanity of people to uh, absolutely fall back on platitudes and cliches in order to make themselves feel bigger and better in the face of something as terrifying as suicide and death is brilliantly handled right there, right <laughs> there. Just she took a sword and she just sliced it up. She that does. was awesome. Yeah. That was awesome. That's what she does. And I fucking, I relate to that shit so hard. I can't even tell you how hard I relate to that shit because, it, I mean, do you have any idea how many times people have said to me, like, just the dumbest things? Like, you know, you just got to get up. You just got to get moving. It's like, I know. <laughs> what do you think you're talking to? I know. Like, I, I wish I could just get up. It's like, not that simple you know i mean like if i could just do it i would do it like that's not like how this works you know and um you know if if you uh if you love your you know you love you love your wife and you love your kids like you you would wouldn't you just be able to get over this it's like i mean come on you know <laughs> it's like completely ridiculous so yeah, then that that misconstrues the problem, right? If there's something to quote, get over it's yeah. is, it, it, what, it, what does that even mean? You know, <laughs> to get over um, some debilitating depression or mental illness, what does it mean to get over it? I mean, as I, you know, going back to our, our sunshine and brain addendum episode, you know, I think there was an implication in there that people will certainly attack and say, eh, some of this may not actually be real, yep. right? Like this idea of mental illness, <laughs> you, know, you just put a word to it. And now you're just adhering to it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, like it's an excuse. She's going to, yeah, go, go, ahead, go ahead. But, go ahead. you know, okay, if she's going to tackle it, I'll let her tackle it. I was going to say, yeah, it is. Don't jump it. Don't jump it right quick. But by the way, Andre listened to uh, that addendum episode, and he said uh, you should rename that episode. Josh tells the world to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that certainly was a. Um, I would say that was a that was a climactic moment for you. That was that was, that was like the general motif of uh, what that episode was. You know, <laughs> well it. It's an embodiment of whenever anyone says fuck you or fuck off or just kind of like throws the toys down and walks away. It's a moment where you're like, 
<laughs> let me put it to you this way. I, I have a friend who um, was attempting, this is kind of boring, but was attempting to, you know, sell um, shares in a company that was about to go public yeah. and was explaining to a guy, it was a good product, go and explain to a guy, explain to a guy. And the guy was skeptical and just kept asking questions. Finally, he just slammed, my buddy just slammed his computer shut and said, if you don't get it, you're never going to get it. And just <laughs> walked away. Yep. And it's like, okay, was that a bad business move? Maybe. But was it earnest? Yeah. yeah. Because at yep. a certain point, people are just not going to listen to you. And, and you're right. like, if you don't get it, I'm not talking to you anyway. Fuck yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't have to explain it to anybody. Do you know what I mean? Like, we don't have to do these podcasts. Like, we don't have to do whatever. Like, like the, as long as the people who are closest to me understand it, I've got my therapist. She certainly understands it. I understand it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't really actually have to explain it to anybody. But the people I feel really bad for are like the family members of those folks who really don't get it, who are yeah. like inflicting on to their loved ones these types of attitudes and mindsets without having real understanding. And by the way, doing horrible damage through that process, you know, making the person believe, yeah, I should be able to just get up. Why can't I get up? And all that does is feed into the depressive voice, which is a chemical imbalance, you know, um, and, uh, and, and is actually a very, very dangerous situation. You know, a very dangerous, dangerous situation. I almost said dangerous. <laughs> it's very Glad dangerous. you did. <laughs> Yo, there's actually, there's a, there's a great website that I actually have, have yet to mention on Sunshine that I've, I've turned to before. And it's really quite wonderful in terms of how they talk about mental illness and ment issues around mental health. And that's a website called Only the Mighty. Have you come across that website before, Only the Mighty? No, not at all. Oh, it's great, man. It's great. And there's this one article on there that I've actually sent to people. I sent it to my mom because she she wasn't responding to to me in the right way, in, in a way that was, you know, helping me. And uh, and she was like, well, how do I, like, what's the best way to respond? And so I sent her this article and it was like the six best ways to respond to somebody who's who's shared with you that they have depression. And it's brilliant. You know, it's, it's really brilliant. And, you know, one of the ways is just to say, you know, when someone shares that with you is to say to them, holy crap, you are a badass. Like, I can't even imagine trying to walk through life with what you've got going on there. If you can't, you know, if you can, then it's like, you're a badass. And I know you're a badass because I go through the same thing. Right. But like that type of kind of mindset of changing sort of how people think about stuff and approach it. But yeah, only the mighty is, is really, really wonderful. And I definitely recommend it to folks. So anyway. Um, but, you know, I think in the small enclaves of individuals who are like minded and share that sort of thing. Now, that's for people who don't, I think, fully understand it and who aren't empathetic to it and who yeah. can't really who don't who don't fully who don't suffer from it to the extent that it's you know really real and palpable on a daily basis yeah. i would say among my friends many of whom are troubled mm -hmm. i know that's going to come as a surprise to everyone um <laughs> i think like if somebody if somebody if somebody you know had said that to me i would say stop being a pussy and that would be funny 
because what what underlies that is a relationship where I'm like, where they know I know. But please, anyone who's not there, like, don't say that to somebody who's who's mentally ill yeah. or depressed. Like, <laughs> yeah. don't. Not unless they're like your closest friend for twenty five years. You know, yeah. like that's. Yeah. But, but but there's a, a sort of humor in it where it's like that's an acknowledgement in and of itself where you're like, yeah, I know it's it's rough, man. You're all right. You're all right. You're going to get out of it. It's, it's rough. And those are very useful tools. The thing you as a, you as a man of the cloth, um, we're never going to stop talking about that. Are are we until you go to prison or something? Yeah. Uh, It'd be a different cloth. Different cloth. Yeah. 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 (laughs) As you, you as a man who bleeds from the rectum, (laughs) that as a man of the cloth, um, you know, when people, you did, you did, burials right i mean you did sure. funerals a lot of them. and you know that people just don't know what to say at funerals no it's disturbing yes because <laughs> it's inevitably nine times out of ten anything said is the absolute wrong thing mm-hmm. and i feel i feel like there should be a class in high school or somewhere like like some continuing ed course or like a refresher in at work of how to deal with that just on a human level, you know, how is this, how is this appropriate for my job selling widgets? Well, I don't know. People die. You're going to run across them, you know, how to respond to that. Um, and similarly, I mean, any sort of real sensitive struggle because it's bound to come off, um, uh, tone deaf or, uh, insensitive if you don't do it the right way. Yeah. Funerals are one of those things that, Everybody goes to at some point in their life in multiple. If you live long enough, you're going to go to a whole bunch of them. Most of your friends die. Most of your friends, you know, family, all that kind of stuff. Uh, But but nobody actually remembers what really happens there. And the way that I know that (laughs) is is that Hollywood Hollywood has no idea how to represent funerals in movies whatsoever. You know. Because here's the scene that you always see at a funeral scene in movies, right? So the people are gathered around a casket and they they get there and they're seated and they're looking at each other and saying, first of all, saying hi to each other. They're like acknowledging each other's presence there in that moment. So like what I want to share is that the only way you get gathered around a casket is if you've driven somewhere together and walk down there together. <laughs> Everyone's already said hi. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's all happened. And for a Jewish funeral, in fact, for most funerals, you probably have done a whole service in a sanctuary somewhere first, and then move with the casket to where the burial. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. You yep. know, so so there's not going to be any acknowledging. But then, what the way they end the funeral is the funeral ends, and then everybody looks at each other and nods, and then everybody just walks off in a different direction, <laughs> like spreading out in all different directions to like leave. That's not how that goes at all. Everyone's parked next to each other. <laughs> yeah. Everyone goes to the parking lot. Absolutely. And you have, you have different. Sorry. Press play on that. Go ahead. Yeah. You, yeah. You have different conversations going on with different people. I think of, I mean, I've been to plenty of funerals. The, the ones I remember are my parents very clearly. Mm-hmm. And Oh my God, that just, they fueled so much like hilarious discussion afterwards. I know uh-huh. it's, it's crass to say like there's so much funny stuff that came from the funeral of your parent, but really, oh, yeah. really, they would have appreciated it. 
I mean, oh, yeah. seriously. Oh, my the, God, yeah. The, the ridiculousness. Like, for example, um, my father being touted as a champion of education. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, not really. <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, and and being given a full military funeral, like I'm not full, but he was given, you know, the the army taps. Yeah, he was yeah. in the army. He was in the army for two years. Yeah, he uh, hated every minute of it. <laughs> he was um, rebellious and was constantly assigned to KP. Um, but okay, he served. He was served because he was drafted. Uh, <laughs> but okay, I mean, who am I to blow against the wind? I yep. didn't serve. I yep. didn't, sir. You, you did. You're you're a Navy guy. Yeah. I'm not. You know, yeah. my my dad got taps too for his time in the Air Force, and he joined up in order not to get drafted, and basically drank beer for a couple of years in Alaska before getting out. <laughs> and he, he got taps for that. You know, thank you for your yeah. service. You know, <laughs> I know, it, and and it's just uh, there was so much like so much. It's almost as if there was this reforming of the whole story at the very end mm-hmm. and i'm like wait a second how did we get from there to here in like four days it doesn't make oh. any sense but man yeah. anyways yeah there's there's plenty that's true no one knows how they work no one remembers how really weird and absurd they actually are and how people are nuts at funerals bonkers absolutely bonkers, bonkers. Yeah. They just don't they're they don't know how to behave, they don't know how to act. The grief is overwhelming for some, and then for some they're just like they just, you know, I have to say something. <laughs> so <laughs> the one from when I was a kid used to go, you know, whenever someone on the reservation would die, we'd go down to the church and I would inevitably hear, um, you know, he is at peace now. I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, he's dead. Sure? I mean, is that peace? Sure? I mean, he is immobile now. <laughs> he is he is neurologically defunct now. One of the yeah. one of the funniest things about it is uh, um, when when you write a eulogy, which a lot of times people don't write a eulogy; they'll just come up with notes and then stand up and sort of flub through it. And I have heard some great eulogies in my day, for sure. You know, people get up and speak wonderfully about, you know, folks that that does occur. But a lot of times what happens is, is that someone's writing their eulogy, you know, like from a deeply emotional state. And so they might be weeping as they're writing it, but it's not translating emotionally to everybody else in the way it's translating to you as you're writing it. You know, Mm -hmm. so I like I once actually had someone say to me heading into a funeral Rabbi, you are not going to believe how amazing the eulogy is that I wrote. Like, this might be the greatest eulogy you've ever heard in your entire life. <laughs> that's this a. Is, this that's is your perfect. setup for your one of your tracks on your album. Oof, man. And let me tell you something. It was not. <laughs> it was not. It was uh, most definitely not. So, yeah, one of those things, I mean, uh, people get real weird. I remember this this one woman in D.C. gave a eulogy where she was standing up and wearing this, like, super short, super tight skirt, you know, like a a full body, like, mini skirt kind of, like, deal. 
And um, she was like really uncomfortable giving the eulogy. But what she did to make herself more comfortable was she like put her foot up, like one leg up on top of the lectern, basically. <laughs> so I'm like standing behind, I'm like sitting behind her while she's giving this eulogy. And she's got like this bare leg, like, you know, just put this, lift this foot up and put it nearly on the top of the lectern and just like give him the eulogy like that. And I'm like, oh God, what is, <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> what, what was later termed the leave it to beaver eulogy? That actually is not what I called it, but I wish that you would have been in my life then because that is now what it, that eulogy is called from forever. <laughs> forever. <laughs> forever. <laughs> so. That's that's awesome. All right. That's going to be. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. All right. So, so it's going to be a track on your album. Let's get to Maria though. Let's get to Maria. Okay. So now this next bit, I'm going to take us through a couple of different tracks on her album from 2013 called ask me about my new God, which is uh brilliant, brilliant. I mean, she's got a joke in here called vegetarian Oscar Schindler. <laughs> oh my God. Where the punchline is. But where the punchline is, uh, um, you know, first they came from the cheeseburgers, but I said nothing because I was not a cheeseburger. <laughs> How do you work to that line? Oh, oh my God, yeah, awesome. <laughs> just amazing. So um, I'm going to take us through a couple of tracks here. Each one's not that long, but she's going to talk about mental health, but start talking about suicide there. And uh, there's one track I'm going to kind of skip. And then you'll kind of see where she's going. And this will spark a few minute conversation and then we'll draw this episode to a close. So first things first, we'll start with uh, this track. Is anyone thinking of suicide? Oh, <laughs> don't do it. Not the season for it. Late fall. That's gonna help. I think I'm gonna stick around and see how angry people can get at me. Uh, Mad at you. Uh, I get, I get mad stuff because, like, there's still stigma, uh, you know, about talking about uh, any kind of mental illness. Like, they don't talk about mental illness the way they do other illnesses, you know. So I was like, wow. Yeah, apparently, Steve has cancer. It's like, fuck off. We all have cancer, right? Right? I have cancer pretty bad right now, but I get it taken care of. I go to chemotherapy. I get back to work. Yeah, I was dating this chick, and apparently, uh, you know, she she needs contact lenses, you know, all this time. She she wears glasses, and uh, yeah, I was just like, I don't believe in all that Western medicine shit, you know. <laughs> if you want to see, like, other people, it's all about attitude. <laughs> you gotta want it! You gotta want it. You just think you would be able to stop vomiting for me and the kids. All right. 
can get Superman off this pipe. Hey, I feel like people don't go for help uh, because, they, you know, they, they was still, you know, because uh, people would rather not go into the hospital and they'd rather uh, go, uh, you know, uh, jump off a bridge because that's less dramatic. And uh, over 7,000 U.S. veterans die of suicide every year, which is funny because you think they die over there, but they come home, right? <laughs> I thought it must be funny because nobody was taking it that seriously. <laughs> And uh, no one will. Um, I, uh, I myself, I have been in that position, and I have had my friends and family wrap a little blanket burrito around my meats and cheeses. <laughs> they put a little feed bag of microwave popcorn around my neck because it's going to be a 12 hour wait at the ER. <laughs> and I was taken to Lost at Sea Hospital because sometimes you're lost at sea. And there you will walk for at least 72 hours around a cement courtyard with a schizophrenic man with no teeth. And no pants, who keeps saying things like, It gets better. <laughs> I do not believe you, but you're very, you're very sweet. You're very sweet. Oh, yeah, so most people never think of suicide. They only think of it in terms of, oh, the stewardess won't give me the whole can. Oh, 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 turbulence. I want to live. But if you're feeling bad, I was feeling real bad. I kept having a lot of shit ideas, and they were repetitive. You know, I kept thinking, oh, I should kill myself, I should kill myself, I should kill myself. And I thought because they kept coming back to me that it must be a great idea. Then I realized, wait a minute, I've had a lot of repetitively shit ideas. <laughs> I've often thought it'd be a great idea to buy day-old raisin bread in bulk and then freeze it. <laughs> also thought many times that it'd be a great idea to go on vacation with my family. They are my mortal enemies. I will fight them to the very last. Honey, we're just going camping in Michigan. Get thee behind me! But I'll be with your cousins. You love your cousins. Stop your siren song. I will not be dashed upon the rocks! But anyways, when your brain stops working, you know, you start thinking of things uh, logically, you know. Uh, so if you're ever thinking, uh, oh, but I'm a waste of space, I'm a burden. Remember, that also describes the Grand Canyon. Uh, <laughs> I want you to have friends and family take pictures of you from a safe distance. Revel in your majestic profile. Oh, but I owe people a lot of money and everybody hates me. Hello, Europe. <laughs> killed someone. So onion rings, firecrackers, who gives a shit? <laughs> oh, but I've done some other unforgivable, unspeakable thing. 
Google it. There's seven billion of us. Somebody has done exactly what you have done and is currently on a book tour. You're never alone! a homeopathic remedy for depression if you ever if you don't have insurance uh i'm not sure what to do here's what you do take a blue or a black pen you draw a rabbit's face atop your own face okay make some rabbit ears out of paper plates cotton balls i don't know what you have You make some fudge, which is very easy to make from what I have read. <laughs> and you go out on your front porch, you open up your window, and you start yelling at people. <laughs> hey, jackass! Want, want some fudge? <laughs> So guys, sorry. Hi, hi. Oh, how are you? Yeah, it's not doing so good. It gets you out and about in your community. And it shows everyone that you need help. So infinitely healing. If you stay alive for no other reason, please do it for spite. Um, my mother, um, she has a lot of anxiety. Uh, she is like our nation's airport, always at orange. Sweetie. I gotta get to the grocery because we are out of ginger snaps. And your father loves ginger snaps, but he would never tell you girls. He would never tell you girls. It all comes down on me. Anyways, I have anxiety. I get it. Uh, sometimes I... Uh, this is what my anxiety feels like. It's like we're at like a wonderful party. It's just a regular party. Everybody's having a good time. And then all of a sudden, somebody shows up in a pretty frighteningly realistic Dracula costume. Right? And you know it's just fucking Steve Beniquist. Right? Everyone says, oh yeah, it's Steve Beniquist. But he won't stay, he's Steve Beniquist. And then he starts chasing you. That's what I feel like all the time. Okay. <laughs> I got my mama. She couldn't find me in the house. An object at rest stays at rest. I am in a corner curled with my bristles to the outside. I was asleep somewhere. And um, she called my sister in a panic and said... Sarah, Maria has disappeared, and I'm worried she's killed herself, and I have a hair appointment in town. I'm going to wait this out just to spite you.
So there you have it. <laughs> that was great. That yeah. Was great. She's fucking, I mean, she is so brilliant. You know, she really, uh, I, I, you know, the, the, the mental health stuff that I deal with is different from hers, you know, uh, obviously, you know, Bi- bipolar disorder is is very different from straight depression but she's she's got that depression thing going that anxiety thing going and you know what i love about her material and her approach is that she uses absurd you know absurdity to figure out a way to kind of make fun of it you know just the the absurdness of it and i i really relate to that myself what about you what, how do you feel when you hear her talk about it stuff in that way I think it's, uh, I appreciated the sort of mundanity of her description of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dracula costume, it's just Steve Beniquist, but he won't say it's Steve Beniquist <laughs> and then he's chasing him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how annoying and how mundane and how debilitating that yeah. must be because you can't. You just can't, it, it, it's, it seems like it's one of those constants and the fact of the matter, she, she hits on a lot of touch points of just feeling bad, repetitive thoughts, repetitive ideas, mm-hmm. uh, the, re- her, her statement about the repetitive notion of suicidal thoughts. Like I've had lots of repetitive shit ideas. <laughs> That's funny. I know. Um, so you know, that that's really funny, you know, going to buy day old raisin bread and then freezing it, you know, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. yeah. I'm not gonna yeah. actually do it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and that's a I think that having the ability to reframe things into the light that she does is um is helpful for people i think that you know if she is able you know it, we go to comedy for many reasons you mm-hmm. know people say well it's to life you know and i that statement there was just a, a sort of nod to jonathan winters right that was very jonathan winters for example. it's just to life right. where underlying it is it's not just to laugh it's to look for something to lighten the weight being a human being is really unpleasant because we're told that it shouldn't be unpleasant. We're told that there is happiness out there, Mm, you know, okay, there is, that's great. But, you know, we're just kind of pushing through all these things by ourselves, even with other people around us. It helps to have some sort of, communal guidance somebody who understands it you know some voice that maybe helps you through it some voice that maybe puts things into perspective in a way that isn't didactic oppressive or guilt-ridden or anything like that just something that's like you know what man there are seven billion of us google it yep yep and that's that's i mean that's as good as any therapy absolutely Absolutely. You know, don't, don't be afraid to, you know, be willing to use what you have in your toolbox to, 
you know, manage the thing. It's, it's not the worst thing in the world to laugh at your pain. In fact, you know, all of the greatest jokes and the greatest humor really stem from pain, right? I mean, that's, that's where it comes from. And it's when you put it in a different light or view it in a different way or are willing to kind of explore it in a, with a, you know, a, a different sort of mindset that we can really unlock, you know, the funny there, but also have it be an incredibly therapeutic thing to just hear someone like her talk about this thing that for me personally, I go through a lot, you know, and if I can't laugh at it, then I can't use probably the most important tool in my toolbox, right? Which is my sense of humor. And, and if I'm not allowed to sort of use that, then that really undermines my ability to, to navigate this shit. And yeah, it is dark to laugh at suicide. You know, I mean, of course it's dark to laugh at suicide, but like, think about how she handled that piece about how many soldiers and Marines and, you know, airmen and women are, are killing themselves after being overseas. And, and what she does there where she laughs really hard and then says, you know, um, uh, and I thought it must be funny because nobody was taking it seriously. And, you know, to sort of, to take us there and say, oh yeah, like this is, this is really something different in terms of how she's talking about this. And then to be willing to compare a suicidal thought to something like buying raisin bread in bulk and freezing it. you know. <laughs> I think it's extremely courageous and extremely bold to, um, to, because that she could hit the um, serviceman suicide rate in a way where people are like, that ain't funny. Right. But yep. she's smarter than that. And yep. she would put it in perspective and saying, Oh, I thought it was because no one was taking it seriously. That's right. That, and that's an indictment on your own ignorance, which is what comedians, the best comedians do. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. And her, her approach to it is without a doubt, hyper evolved, extremely sardonic and just great. And I, I don't think that, uh, you know, I can, skip another one whenever we're back to normal you know i'm not gonna pass an opportunity to go see her That's yeah oh she's she's brilliant and we should maybe go see her together if we get a chance man because yeah she is definitely definitely something i mean something very <laughs> special so uh, <laughs> i had i had it muted during your running of it and i was laughing pretty heavily I, the part one of the parts that really made me laugh was her uh describing the image of her walking around the courtyard with a fudge an, yeah it gets better oh yeah the old guy i don't believe you <laughs> and then all that piece about standing at your front porch and calling people like, hey pretty lady what's a fudge you know <laughs> it's like yeah it's a complete absurdity, you know, and finding the kind of uh, brilliance in, in the absurdity there and really using her style of sense of humor to kind of to kind of go at it that way. I mean, that's that's where it is for me, too, you know, is to find the absurdity in it and then just to laugh at just how ridiculous and absurd it is. But um, in any case, so we, we do. I don't want to keep you too long because, you know, it's getting late and you got to you got to get home. But um, is, is there anything can you think of any? Any way to improve this joke? I mean, uh, where does this sit, like, in kind of what you love about humor? Remember, we always ask that question. Yeah, we do ask that question. I, I mean, I think in terms of 
the level of material that she is the the context that she is taking on and bringing into humor isn't done very often it's just not done in the way it's not done with the with the transparency and vulnerability as we talked about earlier that by anybody else i mean where she's just i mean she had a tv show right for a while mm-hmm. um in which it was just her talking about her institutionalization showing the funny side of it that's it, i'm i did not watch it sin on my part did you see yeah. any of it no i mean i don't i don't watch tv so much so i never, I never oh. saw it either what's wrong with you <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh wait that's what we're talking about that's right oh, <laughs> so many things so never funny. mind um but <laughs> so it, it, it's a challenging topic and i'm using all these like you know platitudinous words like it's challenging it's difficult look it's hard for people to deal with because we don't want to deal with our own negative feelings, our own mortality, uh, the potential that, you know, things aren't all they were cracked up to be when we were young, you know, that, you know, that at some point we're going to see the, we're going to turn around and the best part of our lives are gone. That's really hard to deal with. Yep. And it, it's really, if you want to talk about something that induces anxiety, that's it. And so how do you move on from it? How do you deal with it? You have to be, I think, pretty strong. And I think she represents a person who is constantly working, constantly looking for tools and sharing those tools with people to give them some sense of, you know what, we're, we're never really fully alone. You might be alone, but we're not without kin. That's right. You know, so, you know buck up it, it may not get better and i'm not going to lie to you and say you know it gets better but you know we're all here together and we can help each other through it no doubt you know and in a way it's you know sort of uh piggybacking along with what you said or as someone i used to know said used to say doggy styling along with what you just said just then <laughs> i like that yeah i, mean, I like that just just yeah. like you're going to co-opt the leave it to beaver eulogy. yeah yeah. I want to say, styling. okay, doggy styling on what you just said. Doggy I'd like to say what you just said. You know, I, I think that's why this is sort of a perfect, you know, episode here to go on both sunshine and also jokes, right? Because this is this is what what we're doing here. I mean, the 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 essence of what comedians do is they work to destigmatize really challenging and interesting things that people are sort of thinking about and going through, right? They figure out how to represent you know, these different um, types of things that a person might not have seen it in a certain way. And when they hit the funny bone, right. And it's, you just can't help but laugh because like, I never considered it that way. I never saw it that way. And the way you're presenting it is, is hilarious, but the mission statement of sunshine and brain is to destigmatize conversations about mental health. And, you know, one of the results of having a destigmatized conversation about mental health is that you can laugh about it. You know, like like that to me is like the litmus test is when you can get to a point where you're talking to someone about these incredibly painful, incredibly scary things. And I'm comfortable enough with you that I can present something in a way and fucking laugh about it. And you're not going to judge me for laughing about it. Well, then that's why we're friends, man. I mean, 
That's like what a person like you offers a person like me is that I know that I can like sit and share with you something that might scare the shit out of someone else, but you're going to laugh along with it with me because you understand how funny it is and how ridiculous it is and how painful it is. But why can't it be all those three things at once? You know, and I think that's what she does so brilliantly is she figures out how to present these really painful things and the absurdity of it. And you can't help but laugh because it is really funny. You know, <laughs> it is like it is. And, really and, and part of the part of what makes it funny and part of what makes a lot of things funny is that you can't you you can certainly assign elements of you know, oh, it's painful, it's absurd, it's ridiculous, and all those things make it funny. But then there are those things where you can't assign words to it necessarily. You All you can assign is like, yeah, I know what that is, but I don't know what to call it. It's just, it's there. It's in that space that's created by the work itself, by the art that you just made. And that is what's going to help me through. And that's what's going to make me laugh. Exactly. Yep. You said it perfect. You said it perfect. So... Yeah, that's why uh, I thought we'd bring Maria Bamford and talk about it. So, yeah, I got nothing else to say about to it. On the, listen to her on the way home. Do it, man. She's so fucking funny. Holy shit. Anyway, <laughs> anything else? Anything else to say on the matter? Fuck off. Yeah, you fuck off too. <laughs> <laughs>